0: This is Fiat Vox, a Berkeley News podcast. I'm Ann Bryce. Before we revisit an episode from 2019, I wanted to let you know that Fiat Vox is going on summer break. We'll be back with new episodes in mid-August. In the meantime, we'll be resharing some of our favorite episodes from our archive. Today, we're sharing an episode about Erica Johnson, who works on staff at UC Berkeley, about how ballet kept her culture alive after her family fled Ukraine after World War II. Okay, here's the story. When Erica Johnson was seven, her Ukrainian mom put her in ballet class. Erica loved it right away. The structure and repetition appealed to her need of order. There was a right way of doing everything. And if she practiced hard enough, she could usually get it right. In a world that could be chaotic and unpredictable, ballet class was always like something that I could go back to with reassurance. By the time she was 13, a lot of dancers her age had dropped out. It was really hard to maintain a rigorous training schedule and be a normal social teenager. Erica was tempted to stop from time to time, but she just couldn't give it up. She loved performing. She was shy, but not on stage with the bright lights and the music. It was a place where she could transform into someone else, someone bold and competent. Although she didn't have the body that most principal dancers were known for tall with long legs and super flexible arches she had the work ethic that it took to be successful.
1: I think the reason maybe why I persevered is because it was not handed to me. It was never even quite mentioned to me growing up and as a teenager like, "Oh my dear, you must continue. In fact, we want to personally train you by your solo classes, or you know, there was no, there was a, there was some interest, but it was never like, hand I must handpick you and cultivate you like a rose. <laughs> You know, um, it was uh, it was like you could, if you work hard, you might get a job. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to work hard.
0: As a senior in high school, she was studying for the SATs and auditioning for ballet companies, thinking that if dancing didn't pan out, she could go to college. But at 18, her path was chosen. She was offered an apprenticeship at the Houston Ballet Company, followed by a company position the following year. Three decades later, now retired from a long career in ballet, Erica, who worked for UC Berkeley's Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies, and recently moved over to university development and alumni relations, reflects on the role that ballet has played in her life and how it helped keep her Ukrainian culture alive after her grandparents fled their country after World War II. You're listening to Fiat Fox. I'm Ann Bryce. America's grandfather, Ivan Mikhail Shmilenko, was born in 1922 in a village near Kiev, Ukraine. Dictator Joseph Stalin came to power two years later, and in 1932, he orchestrated a famine aimed at killing the Ukrainian peasant population. As many as 12 million Ukrainians died in the genocide. But Ivan's family survived, relying on extreme resourcefulness. The way they survived is my grandfather's father was a
1: veterinarian on the collective farm. He took care of all the pigs, and he saved, he pocketed pig feed, the feed that you would give to the pigs, and he brought it home to his family, and that's how they survived the famines.
0: When Ivan was a teenager, World War II started. Soon after, he was taken by German soldiers and forced into labor as one of at least three million Osterbeiter, or Eastern workers, people removed from Central and Eastern Europe to become slave workers in Germany. Meanwhile, about 300 miles southeast of Kiev, 15-year-old Alexandra was taken from her village in Zapsorizia and sent to work on a farm. She would become Erica's grandmother.
1: Yes, she remembers being lined up with the other Ukrainians, and then the German families would say, I want that one to be my slave. And she was taken into a German home at one point. And the the matron of the house said, I'll feed you well, but I'll work you hard. And she was in charge of the, the cows. And at one point, she lost one of the cows. And she just didn't, she lost track of the cows. She had to take them to water and to graze. And she didn't know, are they going to kill me when I get back? And I'm missing
0: one cow. The cow eventually showed up, so she didn't have to find out. But this is how she and Ivan and millions of other Ostebiter lived during the war, torn from their families, terrified that they'd be killed, continually victimized. After the war ended, Ivan and Alexandra were sent to a displaced persons camp in Regensburg, Germany, where they met. For them, going back home would be dangerous. Those who returned, usually through forced repatriation, were often considered traitors and sent away to labor camps for, quote, re-education. Those who were allowed to live in Ukrainian society faced discrimination and were denied basic rights. In 1945, though, the U.S. banned the forced repatriation of Osterbeiter. So Ivan and Alexandra stayed in Germany for several years until they could immigrate to America. So they never returned and they never
1: saw their family again. And they uh, waited to get a sponsorship to America, they probably could have gone earlier to perhaps Australia or Canada, but they waited a couple years in Germany until they were sponsored by a church in Portland that paid for their way, a two-week boat, a boat across the Atlantic with many other immigrants.
0: They came to New York, then boarded a train across the country to Portland, Oregon, to start a new life. It was 1951 when Ivan and Alexandra made it to Portland. In Germany they had a baby, Tanya, who was three when they got to the U.S. After the family became American citizens, Ivan bought Oregon Roofing Company and became a successful business owner. And they did everything they could to keep their culture alive. Ivan, with his Ukrainian immigrant community, built the first Ukrainian Orthodox Church in Portland
1: had the strongest church group of all ukrainians and they would get together and and drink vodka and eat ukrainian food in in my grandfather's home and do the hopak dancing and crazy and very involved in the church um and he got the ukrainian paper delivered to him he was constantly reading like solchenitsyn If I'm saying it right, (laughs) Alexander Solzhenitsyn in books, Tolstoy. He would read like War and Peace in Ukrainian, cover to cover, trying to keep his culture.
0: And he put his young daughter Tanya in ballet.
1: In Kiev and in Russia, ballet is almost like, you know, the movies here. The the state really supports ballet. Um, Little school children are brought to see productions and so... I think that my mother's father instilled this respect for
0: ballet in my mother. As an adult, Tanya moved to the Bay Area, where she enrolled her two daughters, Erica and Inger, in ballet. For Erica, ballet became her life, a powerful, beautiful, and often silencing profession that meant everything to her. At Houston Ballet, Erica was part of the Corps de Ballet the members of a ballet company who dance together as a group. Think the many snowflake dancers in the Nutcracker. It's repetitive work, she says, that requires precise uniformity among dancers. But there is a certain power, she found, that comes from a group moving perfectly together with such grace.
1: I have compared being in the corps de ballet to being in the military in the sense that even physically, the way you line up um, at a certain point in Giselle, I believe it is, is heel to heel to like where you run and you make a diagonal point, and you literally have to stop directly behind the girl in front of you and line up the arch of your foot with the point of her back point shoe. And it happens one by one, and it happens super fast. And so you see like thirty women lining up, arch point, arch point, arch point, arch point, and it's beautiful.
0: Being part of a hierarchical, large company, she says, also offered extraordinary opportunities, allowing the dancers to work with visionaries from all around the world. After seven years with Houston Ballet, Erica was ready to grow as a dancer. She joined a small company, Diablo Ballet, in Walnut Creek. As part of a smaller group, she was more often in the spotlight, with all eyes on her. She spent the next decade imbuing her work on stage with depth and emotion, and becoming more confident in herself as an individual, away from the group. As she neared 40, Erica knew that she would retire from dance soon. Her body, always aching, was ready for a change. So she started working as a development coordinator for Diablo Ballet, learning to apply for grants, work with donors, and organize fundraising events. In 2017, she joined UC Berkeley's Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies as an assistant director of communications and development, where she raised public and campus awareness of the department's programs. She says she appreciates how the department encourages artists to tell their own stories.
1: That has been so refreshing to me to hear because I do feel like, oh, perhaps if I had gone to college and joined a a department like TDPS, that might have really helped my growth as as a human, as a creative person.
0: In January, Erica left Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies for a position as a development associate in UC Berkeley's Office of International Relations with University Development and Alumni Relations, where she assists with implementing programs that help to secure philanthropic support among international major gift donors. It's a role that feels natural for her to step into, she says, joining a group of people who work with passion behind the scenes to create lasting relationships with the international community of alumni, parents, and friends. Erica's grandfather, Ivan, ran Oregon Roofing Company until he died in 2012 at 89 years old. Now, his youngest son runs the company. Her grandmother, Alexandra, still lives in Portland and just celebrated her 92nd birthday. Tanya, after raising her two daughters, moved back to Portland to take care of her parents, where she still lives today. In Berkeley, Erica takes ballet classes when she has the time. She says it's like a language that she can speak again, connecting her to a part of herself and her Ukrainian culture like nothing else can. For Berkeley News, I'm Anne Bryce. You can subscribe to Fiat Vox on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more UC Berkeley news, you can visit news.berkeley.edu. And if you have a great story idea, send us an email at news at berkeley.edu.